0: So I was told a couple people weren't paying attention to the color scheme that we've been going through. So I'm going to ask you, what does black represent? Sin. 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 Black represents sin. Sin is what separates us from a relationship with God. We read that up from the very beginning of uh, Genesis. What does red represent? Blood. Blood, okay. So I'm glad. Some, some people are paying. <laughs> no, I know. It's just the color thing. And so hopefully today, maybe you got the, the little bookmark that's just uh, a help as you are witnessing to people. I know when I witness to people, many times in my Bible, I have just some little uh, uh, tools or reminders of things to do. I have one of those uh, in my other Bible that I have. I also have like a little thing that has the Romans Road. they are just things that help when I am discussing with others to help lead them to Christ. And we've gone through a couple sort of deep weeks of of really things we don't always like to hear about. We don't like to hear about our sin. We don't like to think that we are really that bad. But as uh, the scriptures had said, "Your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. Your sins has hidden His face from you." And so we need to understand that. And and I'm I'm a sort of a student of um, the miracles that that God does in this world, as far as how he's created our, our body to like heal and to uh, just the things that, that it does. And I was reading a, an article this last week about a lady, I think it was in the late 1800s. Actually, it was a child. Uh, fell and hit her head and, and went home. And of course, back then when you were sort of isolated from town, uh, there wasn't a lot they could do. But she had a headache and finally her parents told her, you know, go to bed. And she went to bed and uh, she fell into a coma. I believe it was for over 30 years and um, it's, it's sort of amazing, it's all documented with pictures and everything, but after 30 years she woke up, and all her, her parents really gave her in that 30 years was um, some milk and some other little things, they sort of would force it on her. And um, anyway, she ended up waking up after 30 years, but I remember one of the statements that she made uh, as she opened her eyes, she said, it is so bright, and she was talking about how it hurt her eyes. And I thought about that from a sinner standpoint, When we are lost in sin, the brightness of Christ and his forgiveness is so bright that sometimes we have a hard time comprehending it or even understanding it. So when we really understand the darkness and the deepness of our sin, it makes God's light all the brighter to us. And and we uh, really, I think, can embrace it all the more. And so, when we look at that sin, we understand that. And we understand again that that it is through the blood of Jesus Christ that there is forgiveness of sins. And a couple of the scriptures, again, Romans 5 8, God demonstrated his love for us in this that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't come to die for the righteous or those that thought they were righteous. He came to die for sinners. And so, while we were yet sinners, he did that. Now, think about how the world does things. The world usually says, you know what? Even as we raise our children sometimes. You know, if you're good all week, we'll go out for ice cream on Friday. God sort of flip-flopped that. Why they were bad, why we were bad, why I was bad, it says that Jesus went to the cross and died for me. 1 John 4, 9-11, this is how God showed his, um, His amazing love for us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God but that he first loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so we understand the blood. We don't like to think about blood. Blood is sort of a gory thing. It's something, you know, and I shared with the, the Passion of the Christ. I have trolls watching that because of the graphicness of, of the blood that was spilled. But it's the true story. When we really think about Jesus upon the cross, it was, it was a terrible sight. It says that he was beat beyond recognition. You wouldn't even have recognized who he was. And he was a bloody mess. And it wasn't just the blood that was shed upon the cross, but it was the blood that was shed for our sins. And so Hebrews says the fact that the law had required this from the Old Testament days, but now through Jesus Christ, it was the once and for all payment for our sins. And so we go through that and we just say that that's sort of a downer, that's sort of a depressing thing to think about That somebody had to die for my sins, and that I'm just an awful sinful person. And we come to that point of really realizing, why would Christ want to do that for us? Why would Jesus do that? Why would somebody lay down his life for somebody that really didn't deserve it? But then as we just went through the Lord's table today, we find out that the blood of Jesus was the basis for the new covenant. This is my blood. This is the new covenant. Um that was given for us, the promise that God gave us, that once and for all sin. And understand, again, that Jesus willingly went to this cross. And so Luke twenty-two twenty, 20, the night before he was crucified, said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so the, the, the deed was done. Jesus paid that price And so we're sitting there, maybe feeling unworthy, feeling guilty, saying, why should I get this? But the good news is this, is that it's not over quite yet. You know, we find out, too, that the sins that I have affect others. The life that I live affects others around me. The life I live affects my wife, my children, my church, my community, my workers, my co-workers, it affects everything that I do. And so when we look at that again, we see that, as the Bible would say, through one man's sin all died, right? All were condemned to die, and that was through Adam. He tells us also that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. And by one man, grace is given. And so that's the good news. And so today we're into yellow. And yellow represents heaven. This is the good news. Now we're on the other side of the hill. Now we're, uh, what do they say, cooking with oil. Because this is the good news of why Jesus did what he did. He wanted us to be reunited with the Father. There was one way to the Father. That was through Jesus Christ. And so the word heaven is found 276 times, depending on what version you have of the Bible, 276 times in the New Testament alone. That's a lot. There's a lot of talk about heaven, but this is the place where we are going to spend all eternity. Now just to be clear, not to confuse you, but there's three heavens that are talked about in scripture. And the first heaven in the Bible is what we would look at as, as sort of our atmosphere. It's where the birds fly and when we look up and we, we see the things that we see up in the sky. That was the first heaven that was referred to in the Bible. Second heaven is outer space. So it's like the, the stars and the moons and uh, you know all the celestial things that God put into place out there, but the third heaven is God's dwelling place, and that's where we are going to spend all eternity with Him. And so the purpose that Jesus died was that we might spend eternity in His presence with Him, and that is in heaven. And so heaven is a great place. Again, a lot of churches like to talk about heaven; they don't like to talk about hell. Hell is the the antidote to or, or the anti-heaven, you know, if if you're not going to be with Christ in heaven and the end of the world comes or you're called home and you don't know Jesus Christ, you're going to spend eternity in hell. But heaven is the promise to believers that he has given us. And so we love that. We like that. And so when we understand that that's why Jesus did this for us, we see the reward that we have, not by the righteous things that we have done, but by what Jesus has done for us. And so good. the good news is, is that Jesus promised To prepare a place for us. So what did he say in in John 14, 2? He says, I go to prepare, you know, in my father's house, there's many rooms. In my father's mansion, there's many rooms. And where I go, I go to prepare a place for you. See, the death of the cross wasn't the end of it. The resurrection was just the start of eternal life. And Jesus says, when I leave, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And so we know that Jesus isn't dead. We don't like to think about him having to die for our sins, but we know that he rose from the grave and that he's off still thinking about you and me. He's gone to prepare a place for us. How wonderful is that? That is just the good news. That's the great news of the good news that he has gone to prepare a place for us. So when we think of the Old Testament, we think of the Old Testament saints. They're going to be in heaven with us. They're going to be in heaven believing in the promise of the Redeemer that was going to come. Think of that. It hadn't even happened yet. They were believing in something that that hadn't even happened yet. So when we think about faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. They were told about Jesus the Redeemer. They were told about the Messiah that was going to come and do this. And by faith and repentance, they believed in that. And so they're going to be there. The New Testament, it tells us whoever believes, right, John 3, 16, whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. And that's in the presence of God. Again, that's in the presence of Jesus Christ. Revelation tells us that heaven is a place of, of no mores. And I think that this is a, a, a wonderful concept, a wonderful thought for us in this life because we go through a lot of things in this life. We go through a lot of hurts and pains and, and sufferings and questions and, and trials and tribulations and, and battles and wars and You know, some people that we really love all of a sudden are are at odds with one another. And we have all these conflicts and wars and rumors of wars. We have all this bad news that uh, the airwaves want to put on to us. But the Revelation tells us, Revelation 21 tells us it's the place of no more. What? There's going to be no more tears. Oh, that's wonderful. There's going to be no more pain. I mean... I wake up some mornings and I'm a little sore and I have aches and pains. I always look and think that there's people worse off than me. But to really think about, you know, I, I told my doctor after one surgery, because they put you in such a deep sleep, you know, when you're in that surgery. And I wake up and it's like, man, that is wonderful. And it's like, can't you prescribe a pill for that? Because that'd be just great. <laughs> he says, no, that's sort of what got Michael Jackson in trouble. So, but heaven is going to be like that. I'm not going to be tired anymore. I'm not going to have any pains. I'm going to be in just uh, this, this total bliss to be in the presence of God. And so there's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more sorrow. I think that's wonderful. We look around the world today. We see the suffering that goes on. We see the agony in people's lives. We've just seen, you know, through the floodings even, and families that lose a lot, people starving, wars, murders, uh, all these things. You know, abortion issues, all the stuff that comes on. But it says in heaven that's all going to be wiped out. It's going to be no more. There's going to be no more sorrows. There's going to be no more separation. You know, The gospel talks about unity. The gospel talks about coming together for the purpose of Christ and to win others to Christ, to lead them to Christ. But it says that there's going to be no more separation. And it's going to tell us that death is conquered. We lose loved ones and our heart breaks and we have that emptiness in our life. But at the end, death is conquered. It's conquered for us too. As the Bible would teach us, our last breath here on earth is our first breath in the presence of God. But we have loved ones behind that are going to miss us. And I don't know what it's like on the other side yet, but, you know, it's going to be a wonderful place. It says, you know, we cannot even imagine... What heaven is going to be like? It's going to be that wonderful. So when we talk about yellow representing heaven, I mean it's a place that that our mind can't even comprehend. Sometimes I try to to meditate on heaven. I try to think about it. I, I'm walking in the woods and and I'm just elated. You know, I'm an outdoors guy and I'm looking to just see the beauty of a sunset. Uh, we were up looking at leaves the other day as we took our cycle ride. You know, just the beauty of God's creation. But yet the Bible says that's not even close to what God has for us when we're in heaven. So heaven is a great place. We're going to be in the presence of Christ. We're going to be like face to face with him. That's going to be an amazing thing. I think that's going to be a, uh, another mind-blowing thing. We sort of imagine what's that going to be like. You know, am I, we sing songs sometimes. Am I going to be able to look? Am I going to fall on my face? Am I going to be kneeling down? But the Bible says... Uh, We're going to be face to face with Jesus. We are going to be in his presence with the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, who took away my sin. I'm going to be standing face to face with the one who paid the price for something that I never could. I mean, how glorious is that going to be? And we're going to have that for all eternity. For all eternity. This life seems long at times, Though, as somebody said, when we reach 50, it goes pretty fast. But all eternity, you know, we're going to be able to be in the presence of God. And what's that going to be like? I don't know, but I just know it's going to be magnificent because whatever God does, it's magnificent. So we have black sin. We have red for the blood. We have yellow, which is for heaven, that glorious place that we're going to get to spend all eternity if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, that's the first and most important thing you need to do. And then the next color is white. And white talks about purity. And purity is an important thing when we look at that. It means freedom from anything that contaminates. You know, I, everybody wants that that purity. You know, we don't like things contaminated. Nobody wants to drink contaminated water. We have news bulletins every now that things are being recalled because something is contaminated. But purity is the quality of being faultless, uncompromised, or untainted. And that's an important thing in God's Word. When we understand purity, when we understand our relationship to sin and the blood and heaven and purity, we can look at th- a few different things. So when we look at pure water, we say, well, it's, it's free from any um, other substances. It's pure water, right? Just pure water. Uh, whoever invented that deal about bottling water, I think is just, that's a sort of amazing thing because somebody got rich off of that. Who's going to buy a bottle of water? You know, well, it was the French that first came up with it. You know, well, we'll sell it to the Americans. They'll buy it. We do. We buy millions of bottles of it. But we don't want our water. You know, we want to say pure artesian water, pure Chippewa water, pure, you know, we want that water pure. When we look at other things, As gold, and gold talks about being refined, it means that all the impurities are removed from it. So if you have pure, pure gold, it means all the impurities are removed from that. And so a pure life, as we look at it according to God's Word, according to the Holy Bible, it tells us it's a life that sin no longer determines the choices one makes. We need to think about that as believers in Jesus Christ. If you're a born-again believer and you've accepted Christ, you believe his word, you believe in his atonement and the shedding of blood for you, you're redeemed by this blood, are you living for him? First Peter says he's given us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. And so when we look at this pure life, we look at one where sin is no longer, okay because before, before we come to Christ, sin might rule our life. Sin might just you know, penetrate our life at every angle and every direction. And so when we look at this, we see that sin no longer determines the choices one makes. It's not about sin anymore, but it's about doing what God would have us to do. And so Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is in us to convict us and to strengthen us and, and to lead us and guide us in the things that we do. We're not just left alone for these things. And so God has put his Spirit in us that when we come to these choices, We're not really choosing about sin, but we're choosing about God and God and His Word and what He would have for us. Purity is important to God because it is God alone who is truly pure. And I want to just say this, our works do not make us pure. They're not going to make us pure. But that doesn't mean that we don't strive to do what God's Word says. We do things, our righteousness, again, comes through Christ and Christ alone. But purity is, is used in Scripture to communicate holiness and perfection. And so the God's word tells us this: be holy as I am holy. Well, if I'm gonna strap that pack on my back, I'm gonna break down pretty quick because I can't do it of myself, right? But why does God tell us that? Because we are in Him. Our strength, our our wisdom, our walk, our, our endurance, all of our determination should be placed in him. And so we do it in him. And we walk in him and we follow him and we see his word and we pray when we struggle because God knows our struggles. When Moses built, built the temp- temple, uh, the lamp stands, it says, and this is just how God works, we're made of pure gold. He wanted that gold pure. It says that the oil had to be pure. It couldn't be a, a tainted or, or a, a contaminated oil. It needed to be a pure oil. God loves pureness. He loves holiness. He loves perfection. And so as we look at this, Revelation tells us even about uh, the the heaven that we're going to go to and be with Him, right? It says the streets are going to be a pure gold as of pure glass. If you've really seen pure glass, you look through it, you could walk right into that glass pane window and, and not even know it. It's just that clear, that pure. And so when we look at God, we understand that He is a righteous God. And He wants that holiness and pureness in us. But again, it's not of our works, lest we boast. It's by his grace, and it's by us being in him. And so of God, we understand there's no uh, contradiction. We understand in God there is no real compromise. So never get grace and mercy, um, you know, confused with compromise. There is none of that with God. There is grace and mercy, just not compromise. But he created human beings to reflect his image. We were made in the image of God. And so he wants us to be like him. And so how do we become like him? He wants us to live in pure and unbroken communication and communion with him. And so the scriptures tell us, meditate on him continually. Okay, doesn't mean we close our eyes all the time, but is God in the forefront of your mind most of the time? You know, as we're going through things, do you see God's hand at work in situations and conversations and people that are brought in and out of your life? When you're when you're walking, again, me in the woods, when I walk through the woods, I look at everything that's there and I just think, man, that's beautiful. I can pick up a dead leaf that's fallen off a tree and think, that is just amazing. That is just, and I understand that it is God that has created all those things. Years ago up in Jump River, I was fishing and I remember coming around a bend I hadn't been having much luck, and I sort of stood up in my canoe, and I was going to cast out, and I looked, and I saw maybe about 10, 12 small all the bass. I could just see them standing up in my canoe. And I thought, That's I couldn't catch one, but I saw them. <laughs> you know, they, they weren't hungry, but I thought, and that was like, I don't know, 30 years ago, 25 years ago. It was a long time ago, but God gave me that memory, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. See, I can see God's hand in all things. And we need to train ourselves, and we really need to, you know, blessed is the man whose mind is stayed upon the Lord. Amen. Amen. So when we see people coming into our life, is this an opportunity that God has given us to do these things? Habakkuk tells us that the Lord has pure eyes. Psalms 12 says he speaks pure words. New Jerusalem, again, is, is talked about with the streets of gold and glass. So we see this pureness that is there. But we also see in in, uh, Psalms 14, I just want to turn to this for uh, three verses or so. It tells us this, that sin is the corrupter of purity. And so when we talk about the struggle in life, the struggle that we have is with this sin because it is sin that wants to taint the purity that God has intended us to have. And so Psalms 14, "...the fool has said in his heart there is no God." They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. Sort of describes the world as we see it. And when we understand that, again, we see the black of sin. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there is any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have altogether become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. And so I read this, and this isn't really a downer. This is, I think, a, a positive thing that we look at. That's our missions field. God has called us. One of the things that stuck stuck out to me in this verse is in verse 2. It says, The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men. If you're born again, you're a child of the King. You're no longer a child of man. You have been born again. You are a new creation. You are Jesus' child. And so we have a different calling. We have a different life. We have a different set of rules that govern us. And we have the Holy Spirit that is also in our life. And so sin, again, is going to keep us from the presence of God. It's going to taint us in our walk. And again, we know that our walk affects others, right? Some people have pride. They just can't admit wrongdoing. They can't admit mistakes. They just just can't do it. Julie's mom takes care of a girl that's developmentally disabled. She cannot say she's sorry for anything. She'll say everything else, but if you say you know, say that you're sorry, she will not say it. Not unlike the nature of man, right? Sin does those things. Pride does those things. Unforgiveness does those things. Bitterness does those things. And that's why in the New Testament it warns us so much to put those things away from us. But yet sometimes we still grab onto those. Impurity renders a person really helpless from the power of God even to help us until we confess those things, because we cannot enter into the presence of God when we are harboring sin in our life. God wants us to repent of that sin, to forgive us of those sins. So in order to have fellowship with the Holy God, we must reclaim that purity, and that purity is in repentance. Another word we don't use much. So when we talk about white, we can talk about repentance. And repentance isn't just, I'm sorry. Repentance is turning around and walking the direct opposite way. I have this sin in my life that I'm harboring, that I'm I'm playing with. I turn and I walk away. I have purpose in my heart. When we come to the Lord's table, that's my prayer. I purpose in my heart, Lord, to walk the other way. Does it mean I'm never going to fall into that sin again? No, it doesn't mean that. I might very well. But I'm purposing in my heart. My intention is to follow God in his ways and to say I know that this is a problem God give me wisdom give me strength I'll do what I can do but I need you to help me Psalms 24 tells us who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord who may stand in his holy place the one who has clean hands and a pure heart right so grandma used to always tell me before you come eat go wash your hands right you don't wash your hands don't be bringing that dirt around this table God is sort of the same way. He wants us to have that clean heart. And it's that easy that we can go to him and repent. Lord, I'm sorry, I blew it. I've said this, I've harbored this, I've done this. Lord, forgive me. What does 1 John say? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we ask forgiveness and we repent of those things. And so we need to cleanse our hands. That means stop playing in the mud. Stop dabbling in sin. I've purposed in my heart to walk the other way. My heart is the heart as God would say of David. Here's a person after my own heart. He said that of David. Here's a man after my own heart. When God looks at you is he seeing that? Is he seeing a person that really desires to live for him? The Old Testament they claimed it by sacrificing animals, right? Still had repentance. Still had to have faith but it was by the sacrificing of animals. In the New Testament, it's by faith and repentance still, but it's by putting our trust in what Jesus Christ has done for us. We cannot be pure enough on our own to see God. Again, we'd like to do that. We'd like to say, you know, I've earned my way there. That's the humbleness that comes to us. We cannot do it of our own. We must have Christ's righteousness. That's accounted to us, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians, I'm just gonna, that's going to be the last verse I'm going to go to today. But 2 Corinthians uh, what is it? 2, 5, 21 tells us about the righteousness of Christ. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Again, we read about that. He was without sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ Jesus. Our righteousness is in him. We become that because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life because of what Christ has done for us. See, we've done nothing to earn salvation. There's nothing we really do to hang on to salvation but walk in him and to trust in him and to ask him to give him our strength and to to give us the wisdom, and he will give that to you. If you're willing to yield to him and submit your life to him, he is willing to give you whatever it is that you need to face that monster that's ahead of you, that monster of sin, that monster of temptation, those hurts, those sorrows, whatever it is that you're facing, he says that he will give us what we need. Matthew tells us, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If your heart is right with God, and that's the importance of repentance, When we repent and we come to Christ, we see God as he is. And when we see that our heart is pure and there's nothing better than seeing God's work in our life, God's work in our family, God's work in our relationships. If our hearts are clouded with impurities, we're not going to experience the blessedness of God. He may still bless us in some ways, but we're not going to have that communion with him, nor are we going to hear his voice as clear as we should. See, when it's quiet like this, you can hear my voice good. But after we dismiss here in a minute, everybody's going to be talking. And if I'm in the back saying something, you're not going to hear my voice. Is the world giving you a lot of clatter? Or is there other voices in your life that are giving you clatter, that are drowning out God's word, what he has for you? If he is, sometimes we've got to get rid of those other voices. Blessed is the one whose mind is stayed upon God, It's not based upon what we have done, but it's based upon what Christ has done for us. Have you strove to forsake sin? Is that a goal in your life, to put sin out of your life? Is your dependence upon him? We need to think about those things. So we got sin. We got the blood that paid for the sin. We got yellow heaven, the the glorious place we're going to spend all eternity. But God says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray.